Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name is Ken Swanson. I'm the lead film and draft analyst for Arrowhead Pride. This is the AP Laboratory coming at you ace <laughs> live. Uh, we're on Twitch, and this is our second episode of the week. We decided to try to mix some things up. It's the summer. We don't have anything to do. We're going to go ahead and, and maybe add some episodes. Yeah. Well, right. Craig okay. has a whole shopping list of things to do, and I may have two children, but... Okay. Um, I don't have much to do. <laughs> Ken's got his hair done. He's ready. I it's still it's left over from work. Believe me, I'm not trying to get all gussied up to to be on. Don't let him lie on a on a streaming channel devoted to video games. But uh, oh, the slander! Wow, it's it's okay. I like. I think this is gonna be fun. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> I think Craig at one point said 15 people were watching us. Which salute, appreciate y'all. Yep. That's that's crazy. Thirty three. Uh, that's awesome. Thirty three. Wow, this is great radio. I tell you what. <laughs> so uh, something has happened since uh, since we last spoke. We actually recorded a mailbag, and we're going to play the mailbag at the end of this segment for the podcast. So you're going to get the mailbag still. I believe if if we I believe all the questions are still relevant even after you know 24 hours of change. But uh, we thought we'd talk about Darren Lee because the Chiefs moved a sixth round pick in 2020 for Darren Lee, a linebacker from the Ohio State University. And uh, I know I I think we've all had a chance to kind of watch a little bit of him at this point. Uh, Maddie, first off, you wrote an article about it. What's your initial take? about uh, Darren Lee being acquired by the Chiefs. Yeah, so, I mean, I think we've all kind of seen it. Everybody knows what Darren Lee is kind of in a nutshell. He's a very athletic linebacker that really struggled his first two years in the league. He went to a 3-4, probably not the best spot for him to put him on the inside, have him banging with offensive linemen routinely, having to read through a lot of trash when he played outside a lot of his reps in the slot while at the Ohio State University, according to Kent. So you didn't really know what you were getting, but last year he started to turn a corner. He's still not the best run defender, but he's capable. He does a good job when he's chasing down box or backs from the backside. He looks like he's got a better understanding of what's going on, but where he's really making his bacon, so to speak, is going to be in coverage. He's a guy that he just has this rare feel for how to drop into zone, and I know that there's some games where he may have not graded out as well against in coverage, but if you just watch him, man, he drops to good depth and just feels where receivers are coming in behind him while keeping his eyes on the quarterback, and it's super impressive to me. So that's kind of where I got caught up, was just how fluid and natural he was in coverage. Yeah, and he, he's a guy that they don't have on the roster. I mean, Dorian O'Daniel was here. Dorian O'Daniel, I think, is who we hoped would kind of take over as that coverage linebacker role, that smaller nickel guy that can kind of line up and carry running backs, carry tight ends all over the field. But them going out and Darren and getting Darren Lee tells me that maybe Dorian O'Daniel needs another year. Maybe he needs a little bit more time before he's ready to go out there and handle the full responsibilities of it. I mean, this is the second year in the league for him, the second, de- you know, second defense, if you want to call last year's defense a defense, but it's his second time around. This is going to be a situation where I think he's going to learn a lot under Matt House. He's going to develop a lot under Matt House, but he needs time. And so I think they buy him a year here by getting Darren Lee, go out, have him play well, have him play all year, and get a compensatory pick for him, Kent. Woo! And then be able to move on and uh, kind of saddle up with Dorian O'Daniel next year. I will say this, fellas. If Dorian O'Daniel is not really able to play at a high level this year, this is the exact reason why I don't like 24-year-old rookies. 
because Dorian O'Daniel will be 26 years old by the time he figures it out if that's the case. I'm just saying. Kent. I'm just saying. Kent, you are will, so what? ageist. You are so I'm, ageist oh, right now. Wait, bit. is Darren Lee actually younger than Dorian O'Daniel? <laughs> oh, oh, he I'm he pretty might sure be. that he is. And he so, might be. I mean, well, I understand. I'm pretty sure he's 24, 25 right now. So it's very close. He is 24 but... in 208 days, I believe I saw. It's random <laughs> that I knew that, but I did see that, oh. I believe, somewhere. So when you said that you watched Darren Lee, like you were watching Darren Lee. <laughs> like you dug up birth certificates and everything. I, but no, I, I think there's a chance, depending on how Lee plays, though, that he might be in their future plans. Yeah, like I understand the compensatory pick aspect for sure. But if he keeps improving, like if he builds on what he did last year, which was already an improvement, I don't know how you wouldn't want to saddle up with a guy that is 24, 25 years old going forward, especially in kind of the role that I think we see him as, as like the main coverage linebacker for the Chiefs. That's something that Spags really loves and uses a lot. So if he's successful there, I don't know if they're going to be willing to let him get away and try out another player. As much as I love Dorian O'Daniel and want him to work out, just... If you're already getting that production, I don't know if they're going to try to make that transition to another guy for a second year in a row. And I'll say this before before we go with that. I'll say this. I hear that. I'm for that. Did y'all see what linebackers got paid this last year? You really interested in paying? Juan Alexander got $17 million million, a year. I mean, mm, if Darren Lee has an excellent year and looks the part, he's going to get paid upwards of $14 or $15 million. That's steep for wow. a linebacker. I mean, he would have to have a he'd have to ball out this year. But yeah, I, I think that those guys had a little bit more of an established pedigree. I guess bigger, Quan bigger did track it, record. But I mean, CJ Mosley's been yeah, he's been good for a while. Quan's had multiple good but years, he's hurt. and then he's coming off the injury. Yeah. yeah, and that was wild. The Quan Alexander thing was wild. But I mean, how good would Darren Lee have to be to get? I mean, anywhere close to that kind of money this year, just based on what you've seen from him. And then, like you tweeted out earlier today, Craig, he's. He's one more bad drug test away from missing significant time. I think yeah. that does play a part into contract negotiations. It, de- it definitely played a part into his compensation in this trade. I, I don't think that there's any way it didn't. So, oh, oh, for sure. I think that's fair. Um, in but this is exactly this is a Brett Veach special, and it's crazy to say that this is classic Brett Brett Veach because he's only been on the job for two years. But this is something he has he's been intentional about. He believes in his coaching staff. He believes in his personnel team and their ability to evaluate talent. So they've went out and grabbed top tier, top fifty draft picks uh, in the last four, you know, last three or four drafts. They've traded them at, you know, for them at a reduced rate. That's something they've consistently done with Brett Veach in his time here. And uh, I don't think it's a coincidence. I like that they do. I think it's a smart business move. They're saying. We believe in our ability to evaluate. We believe in our ability to develop. I bet you all these guys were highly regarded on Brett Veach's board or his staff's board at the time that you know that that the, the draft was happening. So, um, but I do think you know adding some coverage ability to this group is critical um, because there's not. I mean, Anthony Hitchens and Reggie Ragland are not good at it. They are ungood at coverage. So even if Dorian O'Daniel has the ability to, you want more guys that have the ability to if you can try to piece things together, if you're desperate, if you try have to move Darren Lee in a position where he's playing more just because he's good at coverage. Like, who knows? Like, there's some flexibility. There's some versatility. There's some depth here at this point. I do. I really I, I really enjoyed watching, uh, watching Darren Lee in coverage yesterday. Like, he has a very good understanding of of down and distance he he has a good feel for you know where the sticks are where he needs to get his head around he, he's very natural at it like he's very good in coverage very excited to see what how, he's going to be able to do fun, how fun is it that we can trade a six round pick for a player and go this nuts over general linebacker instincts like how bad has linebacker play in kansas city been the past couple of years and i listen i love not cheap i love it's not been cheap right i love <laughs> they love, paid- love Derek johnson but let's not pretend like that last year wasn't painful they well, paid was bad they paid $9 million to Anthony Hitchens. They gave up this year's fourth round pick for Reggie Ragland. They invested a top 100 pick, barely. It was pick 100 Counts. in Dorian O'Daniel. I mean, they've put a lot of money in linebackers and a lot of investment in linebackers, and they're still having to make moves for it. That's probably been a, a rough spot for what Brett Veach has done to this point. 
Yeah, and I mean, with that in mind, kind of, what are we thinking with this move and how it's going to relate to the Chiefs linebacker usage? I mean, Craig and I are starting to get real deep now into Steve Spagnuolo's defense, and we'll have a lot more on this next week of all positions, and we're just going to be really starting it. But for now, I'm going to give fun. you a little bit. Of, yeah, Ken, Ken's <laughs> so sad he's missing this. But uh, we can give a little bit now and just kind of talk about like where we think the Chiefs are going with their linebacker usage, how we think Darren Lee's going to slot in. I mean, do you have any thoughts on where uh, the starters are going to be, let's say, in the base here, Craig? I, I think in the base, you're talking early down base. Uh, yeah, just 4-3. Yeah, I, I think Damian Wilson's the Sam. I think that Reggie Ragland is the Mike. I know I've been saying that he's not. But uh, we, after doing a lot more looking into stuff, we we found that he, they actually used a bigger, heavier middle linebacker, and they put they would put Anthony Hitchens at the will. I know that's going to make a lot of people cringe because they want a, a rangier, faster will. This is only for like twenty percent of the snaps, run snaps. You're not counting on him to try and carry a guy in coverage often or anything like that. This is just for early down snaps, and then Steve Spagnuolo is taking off the Sam linebacker and the Mike linebacker and putting on a coverage linebacker in that spot for the other 70% of the snaps. I think that is the plan. That would be Darren Lee in that instance. Maybe some big third and longs. They get Dorian O'Daniel on with Lee when they don't have a run that's really a threat. I I don't know. Matt, would you agree with that from what you saw? Yeah, and it was the biggest thing that I kind of came right to you when I started getting charting through a game or two. I'm like, wait a second. I'm seeing like four or five different linebackers out here getting real snaps, and the only time I'm seeing this middle linebacker is in the 4-3, then he disappears. They keep their weak side linebacker on the field for the nickel, but, and it's just, it's weird how they use their nickel linebackers too, and we'll probably have to go into more oh, of that sure. next week. Yeah, not going to start too much no. with that, but... What you have is, yeah, you have a Sam, so it's going to be a guy. It's going to be Damian Wilson, most likely. He's just a bigger guy that's got some pass rush potential, that's willing to play through blocks. Then you're going to have a Mike that, again, is still going to be a little bit more of a bigger linebacker that's willing to bang in between the tackles. He's got a little more range than your Sam, but he doesn't have to have great movement skills because he is coming off the field the second they go into their nickel. (laughs) So the fact that Reggie Ragland's listed as the Mike, I know that made everyone nervous, but again, he's coming off the field. He's coming off the field pretty early. If Spags does the exact same thing he did with the Giants, sure. now we have no idea right. if he's going to change. Maybe he does want to put Hitchens at the mic and then have a faster will in the base. That's quite possible. The way his defensive line plays, he keeps the linebackers. You know, they keep the linebackers pretty clean and allow them to be aggressive. So you might be able to get away with a little bit less size in the linebacker group. But if not, just and the big thing I do want to reiterate here I do think Anthony Hitchens is going to be a three down linebacker for the Chiefs he might come off the field in some third and long plays just because they want more speed but for the most part he's going to be a linebacker in the nickel he's going to be in the base he's going to be the guy that's setting the fronts he's going to be calling the plays like they got to have continuity there so switching him out as soon as you go to the nickel doesn't make sense to me and they didn't pay him nine million dollars for nothing like I understand it's a new coaching staff but he got paid for a reason they're going to give him a chance in this defense. I'll I'll ask this, uh, Craig. How many? What percentage of snaps in this scenario would Reggie Ragland be on the field? Oh, I'm saying fifteen to twenty percent at most. Wow, at most. And, wow. And I think I mean if you look at the trends that teams have in their base defense, every single year it goes down. And every single year, it keeps getting less and less and less. We we kind of had seen, because it really is related to the offense. If the offense is in 11 personnel with three wide receivers or you know more wide receivers, lighter, lighter players that are out there, then they're going to go into the nickel. And that's the majority of the time. We talk about it. The Rams were, you know, they were almost 100%. 11 personnel last year and that's the trend that the league is going towards as that happens the base defense is no longer your 4-3-3-4 anything like that it's already the nickel but it becomes even less important to field guys that can do a little bit of everything in a base defense so you can have sort of specific linebackers that can do you know be a run thumper for 15 or 20 percent of the snaps okay so I'll go here then We've got Reggie Ragland getting 15 to 20% of the snaps. And then what special teams value? So, like, just 
thinking out loud about this. Are we really going to expect Reggie Ragland to play 15 to 20% of the snaps in base, no sub packages and no special teams? Like, are we sure that the writing isn't on the wall for Reginald Ragland? Am I sure? No, absolutely not. Because like I said, Spags could change it up and we could see Hitchens come in and play Mike. I think he would be absolutely fine at that. Maybe even better than Ragland. And then he could just stay on the field anyway. Like you don't have to sub out two linebackers and you go to Nichols. That's 100% an option. It just seems like that Spags was more than willing to keep a linebacker that played limited or hardly any special teams reps to be that kind of bigger Oh, I don't want to say like a three, four in strong inside know, right? linebacker, but, but play yeah. more of that role. Like that's essentially all he's being asked mm-hmm. to do. And then you also do need to have a backup for Anthony Hitchens. And I would say Reggie Ragland's going to have the most experience, most likely would have the next best knowledge base on the defense. So if you do have to replace Hitchens, not just as a player, but also kind of as the leader or play caller, he makes a lot of sense. I don't know if you're trusting O'Daniel or Darren Lee just coming in right now to be that guy at the linebacker group. I guess my point is if Hitchens was the Mike, you'd rather that back or you'd rather his backup be a special teamer. And I think like that's where I'm just like, okay, that could potentially bring some problems. I will I will add this too. I remember watching Kendall Fuller come in when when the Chiefs drafted or when the Chiefs traded for him. I remember watching a couple teams. I think that they were playing heavier base personnel to keep him off the field in Washington a few games. I wouldn't be surprised if teams went to heavy personnel to keep Reggie Ragland and Anthony Hitchens on the field. Well, like and that's, that would be a situation they'd have to pivot for sure. And that's the thing that I, I think you know we get locked into specific personnel groupings, and and Spagnolo definitely does that. Like there are certain preferred personnel groupings, but it's not set. This isn't Bob. It's not going to be okay. Uh, the offense went eleven personnel, so exactly these four guys are going to come onto the field right now. Spagnuolo rotates guys around. It's not just you know these three linebackers and these two linebackers together. There will be situations where Darren Lee comes in, Anthony Hitchens kicks over to the mic in some of those situations to give him a little more rage, even with the you know even with Damian Wilson on the field, or maybe you know they could go with a more of a rush Sam like at at you on the field and give themselves a little more coverage ability with Hitchens and Lee. They're going to mix and match a lot more than we've seen in the past. It's not just going to be line up and do it like Bob had kind of done in the past. So I, I I know I personally keep getting in that rut, you know, when I start talking about it because I've been talking about Bob Sutton for way, way, way <laughs> too long. But they're going to mix and match uh, a lot more. And it, it's going to be fun to kind of keep track of who, who lines up where and, you know, if there are any real trends that we can pick up on. Yeah, and like just to go with an example, like I said, we're going to talk more about it next week, but with the Giants, Spagnola had his Will, which ended up being kind of a three-down linebacker, so he also played in the nickel, his Mike and his Sam that only played kind of in that base. There were times where he brought in his nickel linebacker to play the Will spot in the base package. So he brought in the better cover linebacker and would take out his be- his three-down linebacker, so to speak, and put him on the bench to get a little better coverage player out there. It wasn't all the time. It was just occasionally. So if you get a team that's trying to keep you with Hitchens and Ragland on the field, it's not like he's going to sit there and just let them be abused over and over again in coverage. And I do think his scheme is going to help a lot more, too. Anthony Hitchens and even Reggie Ragland just watching a curl flat zone and not having to run out to the flat <laughs> against running backs or stuff like that or carry tight ends vertical is going to be a lot better than what we saw them do a lot last year. So I think we're in good hands there. Spags is going to move them around and you're going to, he'll get Darren Lee or Dorian O'Daniel, whoever proves to be better on the field if he needs to. Just I'm not so quick to write off Reggie Ragland like I think a lot of people want to based on what we saw on the tape. Yeah, and let, well, I'm playing devil's advocate pretty strong today. Let, I guess. Let's do this because we're talking about it. Who who makes the roster? Because I think people are interested. Who who makes the roster at linebacker? Okay, uh, Jerry Ateochu and Damian Wilson. You keep them both. Okay. I think I think both are. I think oh. both are. I think they're. I think both are coming. I do. Okay. I think they. I. Okay, we're talking about we, we're talking about versatility and mixing and matching. Like Ateo choose more of your rush, Sam. There's a little bit more versatility there. There than is what you have with Damon Wilson. Um, I don't know. I don't know from there. <laughs> I say, but if you're keeping a second Sam, then are you dropping a DB, a defensive lineman? Well, how like, many? What's they're going to keep. They're going to. How many linebackers are they going to keep? 
Five or six? Uh, five. It's definitely five or six. And, I mean, if we're going through it, all right. So I think they're going to keep both Dorian O'Daniel, Darren Lee, Anthony Hitchens, Damian Wilson. That's four that are locks. I think Raglan stays. So I don't know if I'm spending my next one on another non-special teams player. So I guess it would come down to a Tauchu versus Raglan because that's your non-special teams linebacker right, more right. or less. And Neiman. So like Neiman's probably making the roster as the special teams linebacker. And then there's guys like Gary Johnson that if they show up I, could could push for a spot. Are, oh my. Uh, are we this, sure Reggie Raglan's making uh, the man, roster? This is a good prop. <laughs> this is a really good problem to have. This is a really really good problem to have. <laughs> No, and I'm not sure, but I think that I would lean towards keeping Ragland over a backup Sam that is only going to be a. Do we think that Atachi is going to be a better pass rusher than any of the defensive ends on the roster? No, because no. I don't think so. And so maybe, then, what am I using him for? Okay, so if if Damian Wilson gets hurt, who's your Sam? Then you have then you have to figure it out. No, I agree, but I don't know if a team's going to carry a backup Sam linebacker that can't doesn't really play special I mean, teams. It, it's the same argument for moving on for Reggie, keeping a, I think that's, a backup guy that plays twenty percent of the snaps and doesn't play special and teams. Tetsu would have to play special teams. Yeah. He'd have to have some special teams value if you are going. Or to he keep has it. to beat out Damian Wilson. Like at least Ragland. Yeah, like in my thought process, he's starting. He's playing a certain set of snaps. Tetsu to me doesn't have a doesn't have a set of snaps that he's going to get unless he beats Damian Wilson. Yeah, like he's purely insurance mm-hmm. or to spell a defensive end in a blowout. I don't believe he got league minimum though, Ateochu, right? Didn't he get a little bit I of mean, money? It's, it's an open competition between him and Damian Wilson, if you yeah. ask me. I just think that Damian Wilson is better in the coverage aspect. Yeah. No, and I I don't I don't think that's unfair. I'm just just thinking out loud here and trying to I, I just feel like it's it's you gotta work a little harder to think through Reggie Ragland making this you roster. You just wanna get rid of Reggie. I I don't want to, but I'm just like I'm just looking Trying at to it move from my a, son further away from me. I see how it is. I did. I did throw some shade on him earlier you today. Did. So I you guess. Did. I guess that's true. Um, we will. Uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to play the mailbag that we uh, we did before this news broke. So we're gonna. The rest of this episode is just going to be our mailbag of your guys' questions from the week. And Maddie and Craig will be back with you after that week's episode. I think what we're going to do is we asked for some questions earlier this week. I think we're going to do a mailbag today. Just kind of answer all the questions that you guys have and see where this thing goes. Uh, we'll start with uh, our guy, Schweb29. Josh Webb, find him on Twitter over there. Uh, where do you guys fall on the coverage versus pass rush debate? Oh, man, I thought we were doing like a Q&A podcast. I didn't know you wanted 30 minutes on like the hottest topic <laughs> on the planet right now. Oh, man. Um, Why? So let's recent, save it for next week. Next recent, question. <laughs> recently, Pro Football Focus has been coming out talking a lot about how all their numbers support coverage being more valuable to a defense than pass rush. As a whole, I agree. I think you've seen the NFL shift to where coverage, specifically kind of cornerbacks, are more important on a play-by-play basis than a pass rusher. My issue comes out when the separation is made to sound like it's huge, especially when you really listen to Pro Football Focus sit there and tell you that the stability of a pass rusher on a year-to-year basis is high, the cornerback's not as high, and it's not even as close to as high. So you're getting a less stable performance from your cornerback, your coverage player, year-by-year basis. That guy you bring in, you don't know how good he's going to be as well as you do a pass rusher. So at some point in time, the risk-reward of what you're getting kind of balances out. So if you want to say a cornerback is more valuable, I'm not going to argue, but I don't think they're so far ahead of pass rush that you automatically give a team an F-minus for trading for Frank Clark and not drafting a cornerback in the first round. Yeah, definitely. And everybody kind of looks at cornerbacks. If a cornerback screws up, you see it. Like, it happens. It, it It's blown coverages. It's touchdowns. If, if a pass rusher screws up, it may not be that serious. Like, oh, okay, he got pancaked on that rep, you know, and, you know, the quarterback completed a seven-yard pass. You know, so it's going to be a situation where people are always trying to pit those two against each other to see which one's, quote-unquote, more important. I just, uh, to me, they're on level playing field. 
You need both because it, it's an it's an ebb and flow thing. Okay, Good. Bill Belichick. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's Papa Belichick. Um, <laughs> you. You have good coverage, <laughs> you can make good pass rush. If you have good pass rush, you can kind of get the ball out quicker and good defensive coordinators will then recognize that maybe you should close the spacing and and force, you know, some some tougher throws rather than giving 10-yard cushions. I'm not talking about the 2018 Chiefs at all right now, you guys, but uh, it's a situation where they can both benefit from each other's effect. It, it's not one or the other. Do you want to you want to hear my answer, guys? From you're going to say Patrick offense? Mahomes, aren't you? Scoring tutties. <laughs> <laughs> score more than the, score more than the score more than the other team. This is as the as a very meathead offensive take. I'm very proud of it. I'm gonna let it fly. Keith McLean at I quit. I quit this podcast for the second week in a row. I don't know. I had to. I had to. I had to go just full offensive guy there for a second. Uh, Keith McLean asks, uh, McLean, Keith McLean asks, you finally got it right. <laughs> only took me twice, uh, today. If Mahomes, Kelsey, Chris Jones, and Tyron Matthew were beers, what type of beer would they be? I'm not even answering Craig. Go oh ahead. My goodness. This is sprung on me. This is off the top of my dome here. Uh, Mahomes is Pliny the younger. Uh, he's the baby goat out of Russian river. Um, Kelsey, let's see. Uh, What's the Kelsey. wildest beer you know? The wildest beer I know. It's Probably Miller Lite. No, no, yes. he's not. He's yes. not. Uh, wildest beer I know. Something in a cool ship. Something that's uh, wild yeast. Uh, uh, he gets uh, that Funky Town one you gave me when we were at Arrowhead last. Just Funky because of the Town, name. Tropic yeah. King. There we Funk go. Funkworks Tropic King. There you go. Okay. Uh, Chris Jones. Very clearly, uh, Kentucky bourbon stout and uh, Tehran Matthew. Let's see, something Shoot. with honey, something versatile, something versatile. No, he's, his name's Honey Badger. I know, but honey Badger's Badger. Wisconsin, a honey beer in Wisconsin. Go. Oh, I don't have any off the top of my okay. head, guys. What about, I, I go ahead and what buy about a beer from the bayou? You. What about a beer from? LSU area. Uh, Andy Gator? The Beta Andy Gator? No. Beta, sure. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> this question's going way too long now. It, it and is. It's no it offense is. to you. I, you I did was, a great I was unprepared. job. Unprepared for that. Good job. Uh, Brandon422 asks, and I think this might have come uh, from, it looks very similar to something that we saw from uh, Wichita Chief Sam. Outside cornerback Kendall Fuller, outside cornerback to Bashad Breland, slot cornerback Tyron Matthew, free safety Juan Thornhill, box safety Armani Watts. Thoughts, Matthew? I will let Craig handle the cornerback aspect of this. I'm just going to focus on the safeties. I've been watching the Giants, and I've not been focusing hard on the safety play right now, but I've watched enough Landon Collins when I was hoping the Chiefs would sign him and just watching enough. I have zero faith that Armani Watts could do what Landon Collins just did for Steve Spagnuolo the last time he was there. And I'm sure the defense will change a little bit given the year off and new personnel. But I would not want to see Armani Watts in that same kind of role where he's having to man cover tight ends, where he's playing a ton of force players against the run. He's running the alley a ton, being asked to make tackles one-on-one with running backs. I just don't feel comfortable with him doing any of that. I want Tyron Matthew being my box safety. I think he's so much more versatile than Armani Watts is right now and clearly a better player. So give me him in the box. We can figure out what to do with Armani Watts later on. I don't know if he's got a super important role right now in the defense, but if you're putting him out there for nearly 100% of the snaps as the box safety, I'd be a little nervous. And just to kind of not not to like pile on the Armani Watts hate, but the but the team have has told you everything you need to know about that. They went out and signed Honey Badger. They tried to sign Earl Thomas. They didn't sign Earl Thomas, so they drafted Juan Thornhill. They right. restricted free agent tendered Jordan Lucas for two million dollars. Those are all moves that if they were comfortable with him starting, they wouldn't have made. And didn't cut Dan Sorensen when they were looking strapped Sorenson. for cash. Briefly. Yes. Yeah, I, there, I mean that too. Yeah, yeah. There's all these moves that should indicate 
that and not saying that he can't contribute that, that's not what we're saying at all but trying to project him as a starter in this defense right now is just they're telling you that he's not one as far as the corners go Kendall Fuller is a slot corner he needs to be a slot corner we talked about it throughout the course of the year he's a guy that struggles to carry vertically I know that PFF says that he is um better on the outside than he is on the inside but he got significantly less reps on the outside than he did on the inside he's just struggled with speed with vertical speed if you're going to put him on the boundary you're going to make it more difficult for safeties to help him and try and get over the top of his routes and that speed is going to get exposed and the lack of length is going to get exposed he's got great footwork he can handle everything asked of him as a slot corner He's a guy that you want in that position as much as possible. If you've got three guys that you've got to cover, Kendall Fuller has to be your slot corner. And, you know, I I keep coming back to this. I don't know if I said this on the pod last week, Craig, or if this was just us talking, but the best tape of Kendall Fuller was him playing in zone mm-hmm. in the slot last mm-hmm. in 2017. And it Absolutely. was very good tape. Yeah, And the I, reason that a lot of us... We're excited about him being traded for by the Chiefs. So I want him in situations like that as much as possible because that was the most redeeming tape of Kendall Fuller. He was underwhelming a little bit last year. You can blame Bob. I, I kind of do. But if you can get some of what we saw in 2017 out of Kendall Fuller moving forward, man, I I would be uh, I'd be pretty hyped about that. Yeah. Uh, oh, hold oh, up. And the Go last Maddie. part here that's kind of not listed, Charverius Ward, I think you've heard enough about him from the team to know that he's going to get a chance. I'm not a huge like believer that Charverius Ward's ready to be a great player right now, but I think he's earned the chance to compete. Charverius Ward is tailor-made to be an outside corner in what it looks like Steve Spagnuolo's system is going to be. The ability to use his length and athleticism, especially his long speed, to be physical and run vertical, you know, run with receivers deep, staying along the boundary, only kind of worrying about a fourth, a third of the field working vertically, not horizontally. That's like perfect for his game. Mm -hmm. So getting him not on the field when he looks like he should fit that role perfectly seems like a bit of a stretch to me, judging by what we've heard from him and just his general play style compared to with what I think we're going to see. Jay Howell 15 asks, I like this one, the most overrated KC restaurant that everyone else seems to love. This is tricky for me because I don't go to restaurants when I visit Kansas City that I don't like. So it's kind of <laughs> hard for me to like answer it. Like I wanted to say Gates just because I don't love their sauce, but the food without the sauce is still delicious. I can't really go with Gates. I think I'd have to go, and this might not be super popular, Leo's Pizza. It's north of the river, so maybe not everybody's heard of it, but it's got Provel cheese, so it's like Emo's Pizza for you St. Louis people. It's not cheese, guys. I don't know what it is. It's not cheese. It's not pizza. Overrated. Don't come anywhere near me with that stuff. Yeah, Allie. (laughs) (laughs) Just straight shots. Sorry, Allie. Wow. Um, it's, It's tough because... I love all foods, all of them, and you so do. I, yeah. It's so you should funny. answer for Kent. Yeah, I, I when we were at Kent's house for the draft, he's asking, "Well, what do you want? What do you like?" It's like literally everything. Yep. You you can throw a dart. I'm fine with it. I will eat anything. And we so, got Pizza Shuttle, who is now open in Kansas shuttle. City. Free yep. publicity for Pizza Shuttle open in Overland Park get, on 135th and Quivera. Pizza, pizza Shuttle. Um, <laughs> stop it cream cheese and pepperoni I'm so happy I've had pizza shuttle four times in two and a half weeks wait so wait whatever. what yeah yeah he, he ordered cream cheese and pepperoni what it's delicious it's elite That's, I, I, he it's said it was known elite for. I, Maddie, I did not try it Maddie go home Good night. I think we're about to add a different pizza place to my overrated list instead of Leo's <laughs> Cream cheese and pepperoni. What is Don't this? A knock bagel? it till you've tried. It's elite. Oh my! It you you have no idea. Everyone who has had cream cheese pizza, flood Maddie's mentions with slander, please. This is probably like some kind of savagely move where you put ranch on this pizza too. Uh, no, I don't. No, I am not, not Allie. <laughs> We're just dunking oh, on Allie on this man. question. She's too short. She can't defend herself. Oh um, my god. <laughs> <laughs> 
We're just kidding, Allie. Anyway, Allie. Uh, <laughs> I that I have been to Waldo Pizza. I would go back, but my experience there wasn't great. I, I just thought that it was fine pizza, and I've heard people really talk it up. Usually, people that live in that area, I think ease of access really plays into effect there. So that's what I'd pick. Um, I I kind of think Gates is overrated, Maddie. And I so here I will add the caveat. The last experience I had at Gates was a lot better. I'm open to trying it a couple more times. I plan on and having it more recently, but one of their one of their barbecue sauces tastes like taco sauce. It tastes like Taco Bell taco sauce. And it's I don't gross. I disagree. I do not disagree. And, and I, I I've had mixed I've had mixed feelings about Gates. I I'm starting to come back around and I think I might have been a little too harsh on it cuz I did have it recently. I was like, okay. I mean, this maybe not Was their chicken as bad. club not what you expected? <laughs> it didn't have cream cheese on it. I got I got the uh, I got the nooner. It was delightful. Little little, little burn in little little beef brisket. So you some, do some order fries. barbecue at barbecue yeah. restaurants. This yes, it's just. I thought your take was going to be that barbecue was overrated. No, <laughs> no, I I would not live without barbecue. You I need a Z man in my it. life. I need a Z man in my life. I need some ribs. I need all of the burn ins in my life. I love burn ins with a, like. That might be my favorite. That might be my favorite food on the planet. It's a good, ginormous plate of burnets. Low Lip McGee asks, "Please share each of your reactions." Uh, the moment that Patrick Mahomes got drafted, I, okay, I was. There's video. <laughs> there is video. You can find it. Uh, if if you if you have a hard time finding it, you can find it. But there's a little backstory that to this. That poor pillow will never be the same. I I yeah. There's there's a couple videos never mind. Um <laughs> I one of me there's one of me dancing to Cool in the Gang. Like jumping up and down got, and dancing. Is there a not safe for work warning? Huh? Is there a not safe for work warning on that no, one? No, 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 okay. no. Nothing like that. But I just got multiple angles of me celebrating Patrick Mahomes, but the backstory is I was very obsessive about that she's potentially drafting a quarterback in the first round. Like months leading up to it because it felt like there was like a, a a glimmer of chance that it could actually happen and i was very much in the patrick mahomes would be in the perfect situation in kansas city kind of mold i actually started i one of the reasons i write i started writing is because i was really excited about the potential for the chiefs to draft a quarterback that's what kind of got me got joel's attention i got joel's attention you know a few years ago as i kind of started writing about quarterbacks and, and analyzing them and stuff so um, I was very much on the board for them for them to finally trade up for a court or to select a quarterback and then they traded up and did it and I lost my mind and I was in, in, immensely happy and there's video to prove it. No, uh, mine, uh, we're going to have to put the explicit tag on this. Pete, oh, no. cue up uh, sexual healing and <laughs> if you, can you just put a little bed underneath this right now? No, it was great. I I did the same thing that everybody else did. I screamed and yelled and ran in circles around my living room and was crazy excited. And I, I yeah, I was beside myself. Uh, they finally, they, they drafted a franchise quarterback the year I was born, and then they waited until Patrick Mahomes. Before Wait, they, they drafted it. They drafted a quarterback in 1968. They did. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right before wow. they won the won the Super Bowl. It's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, mine went kind of like this. Please not Reuben Foster. Please not Reuben Foster. <laughs> There's no way this is going to be a linebacker. Well, yeah. he's a pretty good linebacker, so would uh. it really suck? No, we can't go Reuben Foster. They did it. It was Patrick Mahomes. That's essentially how mine went down. Can I just remember those Rappaport kind of rumors like a couple hours before the draft that the Chiefs were trying to trade up for a linebacker. And I just kept thinking it's going to be Hassan Reddick because of the Britt Reed Hassan Reddick connection. And I was like, I tweeted out. I think I I can find it later. Chiefs I, do not trade up. Oh wait, no, maybe I didn't say something about that. I don't remember. I'm gonna have to go find it. I'm pretty sure I tweeted something about being angsty about that potentially happening. Can you? And I mean, I'm going to bring this down because I know our our next question is going to bring it right back up. Can you imagine if Reuben Foster was on this team right now? 
with everything that's going on. Ugh. You, can you uh, just? It would be a nightmare. Nightmare. Just yeah, nightmare. He, that just that just hit me. If he was on, if he was on this team for any amount of time, just. Ugh. There, I, I, there, there's we, no way that would have happened. You'd never, though, you'd never hear the end of it. We're still never gonna. I mean, it's sure, still, the sure. Chief, the but Chiefs I mean, are going to be dunked on a lot over yep. the next six months. Absolutely. Yep. They just are. That's that's going to be happening. Um, we are going to take a break, and we will come back right after this. Lack two asks, I dare you to say something half positive about the Meikle Hardman selection and what he might do for the Chiefs. Now I know that we're being labeled haters for Meikle Hardman. We're not. We don't hate Meikle Hardman. I don't. Maddie's being labeled a hater. We're being jumbled in together. We've yeah. said a lot of nice things. We Maddie have. is not. <laughs> we have. But I, he he's a guy that's going to impact the return game in a big way. Dave Tobe is going to have the most speed he's ever had on special teams this year, and it's going to start with Michael Hardman. He's going to greatly affect the starting field position, and he is going to get the ball in space. They're going to find bubble swarm. They're going to find screens, jets. They're going to get him into space with the ball where he can use his speed. He will be an effective player in this offense. There's just some people that have been spending a lot of time trying to get him up over a 1,000 yards receiving. We just need to frame the expectations a little bit like the Chief Scouts have been doing as well. Yeah, I mean, follow along with what the Chief Scouts are saying. If you do look at, I mean, if you look at second-round production for receivers too, it's not astronomical. It's, you know, four or 500 yards. I'll say this. I think there's a path to production for him. I think there's a very obvious path to production for him. There are questions that we have about his ability to take on a very high prominent wide receiver one-ish, wide receiver, high-end wide receiver two kind of role. Like We have questions about that ability, but there's a path to production for this guy. And the Chiefs have been able to use an unrefined, extremely fast player similarly like Tyree mm-hmm. Kill he's not as good as Tyree Kill was coming out he's got some he's not quite as you know shifty he has, doesn't have the same kind of change of direction but there's a path to success for him the Chiefs can find ways to make him functional in year one as he develops and um, I do think his presence will be felt because of the vertical stretch ability I think it will help everything else as a third wide receiver this year when Tyree Kill if he plays for the Chiefs and he's not suspended. So if he's a clear-cut third wide receiver behind Sammy Watkins, behind Tyreek Hill, I think McCole Hardman gives you a guy that's going to bring something to the table that not any other offense in the NFL is going to have. There's going to be no offense in the NFL that's going to have two guys that are running in the four twos, mm-hmm. and then have Sammy Watkins, who's big and also still very fast, and then having a very fast tight end. Like, he creates unlimited spacing issues when he's your third wide receiver, which my issue comes when you bump him out and having to play a wide receiver two or wide receiver one role. I just don't think he's going to be ready for that this year. I'm not 100% sure he's going to get there based on what I've seen, but when you're asking him to reduce his role down to a third wide receiver, maybe even a second wide receiver for the temporary time, it's something that I think I can get on board with. It's just like people have said, I think I've been labeled a hater of it a little bit. And I understand what the Chiefs are doing. It's just he would not have been my preferred choice, but he is certainly going to be able to do things for the Chiefs that no other wide receiver in this class would have been able to do besides maybe Paris Campbell. I thought you were going to just maintain the heel status and just like add <laughs> some very layered sarcasm, some like very veiled... You know, pettiness, oh, he's but so fast. I mean, <laughs> the Chiefs will be great at running four verticals, and that might be all he can do for them. But they're going to be very good at running four <laughs> okay. verticals. Got, you got another. You got a second chance. I thought for a second there, I thought a second child changed you, but nope. Same old Maddie. <laughs> I stayed positive until you made me go back to the well. I ran out of positivity to speak. I mean. There's okay. only so See, much rainbow I can shoot out here before I realize there's no pot of gold at the end. <laughs> wow, you really were at your limit. That's that's wonderful. <laughs> Steve Gray Jr. asks, why not give up a 2020 first rounder for Patrick Peterson, which will be pick 32, love the optimism, and then retain the second round pick, which will be pick 33, double love the optimism, hashtag 33 years. Well... 
Uh, I am here to protect the 49ers second round pick at all costs. I am here to continue banging the drum for the San Francisco 33 years. I will surrender the first round pick before I surrender the 33rd pick over my dead body. Will we get rid of that San Francisco 49ers second round pick? I'm here for it, Steve. Cut to three days from now. Kent is wondering about his dead body and how this <laughs> trade occurred that they <laughs> lost this draft pick. Oh, I'm gonna it's gonna hurt. It it is gonna hurt. And it's gonna happen. Yeah, definitely. It's gonna I, happen. I mean, those picks, I realistically the 49ers pick will probably be closer to 49. Can we just save that for August, September? Yes. Can we yes. just Let's let's save it for August and September. We have contingency plans. Yes. If the 33ers gets shot down quickly. Okay. Let's You're right. just You're right. The 33 Let's have some let's have some positivity. I would prefer to keep my first round pick and give up the San Francisco 55ers second round pick. <laughs> but I mean, if that's what has to happen, we got to give up the first round pick. I can get on board with it. I would just rather give up pick 55 than pick 32 to do so. That's all. You can give up a lot if the Chiefs are actually picking at 32, though. Like, we can just go ahead and just... You can have next year's draft if that means a Super Bowl. Don't care. Don't care. Give me rings. I mean, especially with all the lottery tickets they've been able to bring in, they're going to be just fine next year. Am I right? I need my first round pick next year because I need a wide receiver. Okay. I mean, we've we've established you can't run four verts every single play, so we need a wide receiver. Until uh, they sign another 4-2 guy. I can't tell if that was I can't tell if that was Mikol Slander or a love for CD Lamb, which I think is part <laughs> of what makes the allure of the comet so great. Also, just start spreading CD Lamb rumors right now. Like he drowns puppies. I mean, just awful human being. I've looked through enough receivers now. There, there's a handful of guys I'm okay with at 32. So while CD Lamb is obviously the first choice for obvious reasons, anybody we need a wide receiver one too. So we might as well take whoever's there at 32. LG Suarez asks, similar to what happened last year, that defenses didn't know what to expect from a Mahomes-led offense. Do you guys think that the Chiefs' defense will have the element of mystery, surprise, till there's enough tape out there on them? As always, love the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate you, LG Suarez. Uh, I think that there's a possibility there. I think Spagnuolo's just a guy that's unpredictable. He's aggressive. Uh, I believe one of the comments that I can't remember which offensive coordinator said it, but said Spagnolo will blitz on downs that he's not supposed to blitz, and he doesn't know why, but he does. You know, it, and so it, it's a situation where it is going to be unpredictable. You never know where pressure is going to come from. You never know how he's going to line up. You, it, there's a lot of variables that he will throw at defenses. This isn't going to be like Bob. You're not going to have situations where you can pretty much scheme him into specific stuff and know pre-snap exactly what he's going to do. Uh, Steve Spagnuolo is going to keep things mixed up. That that only benefits. I, that's what you want to do on defense. You want to stay multiple. You want to be able to show a look and be able to convert into multiple different looks and do multiple different things so that offenses can't just shift you into specific formations and, and force force you to be in your weak spots and attack you there. Yeah, and I agree with what Craig said there is I think there's going to be a little bit of kind of mystery or surprise just based on who Steve Spagnola is as a defensive coordinator, but as far as just being something that teams have never really seen before or have no way to prepare for, I don't think that's going to exist. There's enough tape on Spagnola's defense from with the Giants. You can go back either tenure with the Giants. You can look at when he was with Ohio State where he's come out and said he took a lot of stuff from them and brought it to the Giants in this second stint here in 2015, 16, and 17. So there's stuff you can go look at. Whereas with Patrick Mahomes, everybody could see the Texas Tech film, but you didn't think he could pull it off in the NFL. He could. You just didn't expect it to work. People know what Spagnuolo is going to try to do overall. It's just when is he going to do every single thing you don't know. And I do think that given the year off, he is going to come back with a couple surprise packages or plays that teams aren't ready for, but it's not going to be a whole season's worth of surprise. 
Right. And it, it's not going to be just complete change and deviation away from what he's typically done. One thing you, you did mention that you're away. I think that actually will do him some good. I think mm-hmm. there was some talks that he had been studying some of the, you know, college spread stuff. He's been doing some, some research over that course. That's going to help him. Also, the staff he's put together, we keep talking about it. You know, Brennan Daly coming over and, and you know, that rush plan that he was part of that slowed down Patrick Mahomes in the first half. That was something. That's a nice little element to bring here. And then Matt House coming over from the SEC, coming over from the college game, making that transition into the NFL along with Spagnuolo. I think those two things will, you know, they'll have some stuff up their sleeves a little bit. They'll have some, some, you know, some adoption to some of the things that the college game has been doing, I'm sure, too. So I think maybe not necessarily, there's not going to be wholesale changes, but I do think that, you know, Spagnuolo at bare minimum is well equipped to, to, you know, execute a defense here at, you know, in the, in the 2019 version of the NFL. So I think that's exciting. I'm really curious to see what, uh, what we get to see with him. And I'm curious to see what Craig winds up writing about with him too. Uh, Kiefer young six acts asks, who do you see leading the team in sacks? And this is a tricky question because like you want to say Chris Jones based on what he did last year. And this defense is kind of gonna put him in a good spot to do so. I'm going to lean towards Frank Clark right now. I just happen to think that there's a little bit more gamesmanship and just attempts to get defensive ends in better positions than a three-tech by Steve Spagnola in his past. Like He does a good job of setting defensive ends up in good one-on-one matchups on specific passing downs, whereas his defensive tackles oftentimes come off the field on passing downs number one, and number two, he just kind of lets them work from good leverage just based on alignment rather than trying to design plays for them to get specific one-on-one opportunities they can win at. So I'm going to go with Frank Clark, but close. Uh, clearly, the answer is Breland Speaks. Next. Wow. No, it was sacks, not snacks. Oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, Jeez. my goodness. I, uh, I, I misread it. is just it. full heel. <laughs> Full heel. No, it's a uh, it's Frank Clark. Uh, Frank Clark. I think not only is he going to have more favorable matchups, and Chris Jones is going to have a lot of sacks. Chris Jones is going to have a, a giant year in this defense. But not only is he going to have favorable matchups, I think he's going to be on the field more. Like I, I, I think I think Chris Jones is going to get about sixty percent of the snaps. I think Clark will get closer to like seventy five or eighty percent. I I'm going to sweep it with Frank Clark, but. I mean, okay, you got you got me a little excited here, fellas. Just you know, thinking out loud about this, are we sure this team's not going to be top ten in sacks next year? No, they are. I mean, that I was think my bold with, prediction with Clark and Chris Jones. I do not think it's a far fetched thing. No, I think at all. Once you before when we talked about this is without Frank Clark, and you were trying to piece together a right. second pass rush option. Now you have legitimately a one A and one B again. I just happen to think, as far as the pass rush goes, Clark will get more sacks schemed for him than Chris Jones will. Mm-hmm. I do, and I agree with all that. I'm just, I, I'm getting very geeked out about. I this think they're over 45 sacks. Tune back I, in I next do. week for the I, defense talk, Kent. Oh well, you guys have fun with that. I will be, uh, I'll be on a boat or on a beach. So, Cameron Corwin asks, who has the better career, Juan Thornhill or Nasir Adderley? Give me Juan Thornhill. I think the ball production plays. And I think he's really well positioned, at least, you know, for now, under Steve Spagnuolo to, to get some ball production. And uh, you saw, you, we keep talking, we talked about Lewis Riddick earlier this week. He's hearing that, he's hearing that, that buzz, that excitement about Juan Thornhill from someone. I tend to think it might just be the Chiefs saying, this dude's good. We've seen him for three days, and we're already hyped about him. Yeah, I think both players went to like perfect situations kind of for them and what they're going to do. Adderley gets to go play single high center field for a cover three scheme. Juan Thornhill gets to play a lot of deep safety, but also go to a team that's going to rely on his versatility a little bit more, but mostly give him a chance to play as a free safety, use those ball skills when the ball's in front of him. I think the big tipping point for me is that Nasir Adderley, I just still have questions about his NFL-level athleticism, and I understand that you don't have to be an elite athlete 
all the time, especially to play center field. Just only so many Earl Thomases exist where you don't have that superb elite athleticism. You just see the game so much faster than everybody else. I think Adderley has to get to that point to have a phenomenal career, whereas Thornhill's athleticism gives him a little bit more leeway on the mental side of the game to still have a good career. And on top of that, Thornhill can do a little bit more. Like, Adderley is just going to be a deep safety. Not that there's anything wrong with that, because he's in a great spot to do that. But Thornhill is going to be able to have a little more versatility. We saw them both do, you know, in lots of man cover reps at the Senior Bowl. Thornhill looked better than Adderley did. Neither one of them looked great in man coverage, but Thornhill did look better. And that cornerback experience plays... Adderley's coming from Delaware. That step up in competition is something that's just still a little bit of a question mark. I I think that they're both going to be good. Uh, both of those safety tandems in, in the AFC West between the Chargers and the Chiefs, boy, those are good. Uh, those yeah. are some really good safety tandems and young safety tandems. We're going to be talking about both of those teams and that those safety groupings for a while. Yeah, both of them are well-positioned. I do think, and I do agree with Maddie. kind of later in the process, we started to have more questions about the athletics, athletic ability in this year, Adderley. There is some questions still there. And unfortunately for him, he really never got a great chance to kind of prove himself because he was really laboring through the process. He was laboring at the Sooner Bowl. Mm-hmm. He has some of the most fun tape. He has the football character, and I still really like him as a player. There is a little bit of athleticism concerns with them. I do agree with that a lot. I mean, it, it that that kind of lingered. You were hoping to get some more answers. We thought we would get more answers about it, but we never did. And, you know, I think that's part of the reason he wound up falling to the same kind of range as Juan Thornhill as well. Yeah, and it's not saying he's a poor athlete. He's very much an NFL caliber athlete. He just it's, yeah, to it's do just, what he has that to do what he's going to be asked to do. He's going to have to see the game better than other people with his athleticism, and that's just a bigger leap. Whereas Juan Thornhill can be a little more reactive, but just as effective in a slightly different role. But his athleticism just gives him a little more leeway. Sure, and I mean, I think Juan Thornhill's his ball skills seem to play. Like, I mean, it's just, it's natural to him. Like, it's just... Very much so. That that For dude sure. can find the football. That's something, again, like, fit matters in all of these. Like, fit is very important. How you, where you are placed and what position you are put in matters so much to these dudes. Juan Thornhill, I do believe, has been put in a very, very good situation for his skill sets. The Chiefs are in desperate need of ball production in their secondary, and they got it. And this is a dude I think could be really, really special in Kansas City. Christian Gumminger asks, uh, what is your guy's favorite part of the offseason after the draft? Not not having a deadline anymore. Uh, (laughs) Not, Not feeling like there's this giant thing that's coming up way too rapidly and it needs to get here so that we can move on. No, I... It's just it allows us to have a little more free time to kind of look at some of the things that we've been putting off. You know, Spagnuolo was hired while we were at the Senior Bowl. Right. We we have had to kind of react in real time to a lot of that while we were doing the guide, while we were covering the draft, while we were doing all the lead up to the draft and everything like that. Maddie and I this week have spent a lot of time so far looking at Spagnolo preparing because we are doing a series this uh, over the course of this summer. I'm going to do uh, coverage. Maddie's going to do the fronts. And we're going to kind of go through and talk about a lot of the things that Spagnolo does, a lot of his tendencies, where guys line up, and try and kind of give you guys a foundation and the knowledge to be able to go into next season and and sort of be able to understand what he's trying to do on the field. Because obviously it's going to change from what he's done in the past, but we can give some of the foundation there so that you can learn and things like that. I'm really excited about covering this. Really, really, really excited about covering it. So we hope that you guys are going to love it too. Yeah, and I think most years I kind of like to take a step back after the draft, relax a little bit because it is a little stressful when you try to cover the draft this way leading up to it. Even if it's not, even if nothing's riding on it and you're just doing it for fun, it still gets a little bit stressful. So getting to step back and then I do like going through all the draft picks, trying to figure out where they're going to fit in, speculating about where guys are going to play, who's going to be battling for roster spots and little stuff like that. 
But in reality, my favorite part is once the dust settles and you kind of get into probably another week or two from now and you kind of start looking to the next year's draft, not in in depth or anything like that, but I do start (laughs) like to think about where you're going to be looking at in the 2020 draft only, as Craig just said this year, we have a whole new defense to learn and talk about. And that's more, that might even be more exciting to me than anything draft related is we've had the same kind of defense in Kansas City for a long time now. There's been no real reason to learn anything new at a wholesale level. It's just been little tweaks and stuff like that. And not that we knew everything, just there wasn't a whole lot to go back through and completely relearn. Whereas now this entirely new defense is something new. It's just now showing up for the Chiefs. Getting to break that down and really dive into it has already been a blast just these first couple days. So we're excited to bring that to you guys because we're learning just as much as we're hoping we get to you guys. <laughs> and as much as it annoys Kent to have the DMs flooded or the hangout chat that we're on, you know, screen shared and stuff like that, that's almost double the fun is annoying Kent. Oh, it is. Absolutely. It's actually, here's the funny thing. It's actually mostly just fake annoyance. Um, I listened to a podcast on a guy that specializes in blitzes today. <laughs> so... Um, I feel like for me, like this time of year, it's a lot of things. It's kind of taking a look back at all the way back to even like what I wrote about during the season and kind of self scouting and coming up with a, a plan to make the content good, to make my plan of attack for the regular season good, start fixing the problems and, and, and addressing the things that we want to change about the draft process. Like this is kind of self scout season. I really and I actually do kind of enjoy it. It's good. It's good to sit back and relax. And but you know, learning. Here's one thing, and this this goes out to anyone trying to write. If you rely on what you knew five years ago, you're wasting your time. You got to keep learning. So if if you're not continuing to grow and learn and develop and try to build your skill sets and understand more things, you're wasting your time. Yeah, because. Bob. <laughs> Jokes on you! I knew Pat was a star five years ago. <laughs> uh-huh. But I mean, like the truth of the matter is, this is just for anyone that's writing, anyone that wants to write, anyone that wants to do the stuff that we're doing. You better spend more time listening and more time learning than firing off hot takes. It matters. You got it. You got to put in the work, and you've got to stay ahead of the curve because the NFL is changing. Look at look at the NFL in 2016. When Steve Spagnuolo was last running the show, and now look at it now, like we, we are, we literally are. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> things have changed since then. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, I mean, he said so himself. Of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the run, the RPOs weren't really prominent in 2016, no. and there's things that are changing now. And <laughs> I, so like, this is like a good time to just like, I just try to, I, I don't have enough time to like soak as much as I can in you know, because we're doing so much, I try to learn stuff. So like literally I'm listening to podcasts about defense. I've got a couple books on defense that I'm going to read. Hello, Cody Alexander. Um, so hybrid I mean, is great. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think it's just stepping away from the flow and the grind and, and getting to learn new stuff and trying to reset and re-energize and get ready to go out and do what we're going to do in 2019, which I'm geeked out about next year's going to be dope. So, yeah, I mean, we got a super bowl coming. I know. We're going to be writing into February. Nothing fellas. like covering a Super Bowl right after the We're Senior be, Bowl. I can't wait to be at the Senior Bowl and people congratulating us on making the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's going to be great. be a lot more that, fun than having people tell me, man, I thought you guys had the Patriots I while know. I'm walking through God. the airport. Yeah. I got, dude, uh, Brad Kelly and uh, Mark Schofield both apologized to me <laughs> at the Senior Bowl. <laughs> I was like, I it's okay. Thanks. <laughs> it was weird. I man, felt, it was ima- just, it was, imagine winning that much where you're just like, man, I'm sorry. We're getting another no, one. No, it's not just Patriots one. fans. I was getting apologized to from Saints fans after they got oh. jobbed by the call. I was getting apologized to them because everybody just wanted to see Mahomes in the Super Bowl. They got robbed Why of it. You? I had Saints fans saying, I'm so sorry. I thought you guys had that, but don't worry. You'll get it next time. But it was just crazy to see them coming off a heartbreaking victory saying, I'm sorry to us Chiefs fans, which literally lost because we couldn't stop a single third down. Thanks, Bob. Ugh. We're not going to have that problem anymore. 
Spags is here to save the day. Spagsativity, baby. Here we go. Spagsativity is live and well. Things are trending. Spags out. What's that? Uh, never mind. I had my pun, but it got talked over, so I'm out now. Ah, you, you can't ruin it. Can't 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 allow somebody else to have a pun. That's what it is. I won't be here to ruin it next week. That's true. So, Maddie, please. No, I'm saving it now. Okay, <laughs> Craig, why don't you close out the show? Because we're um, getting reps today. All right. What's up, everybody? My name is Kent Swanson. <laughs> I'm. <laughs> Thank you all for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in every week. Leave us a five-star review. Like, share, subscribe. And we will catch you guys next week. Catch you guys on the flippity flip.